Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So it's the 14th of September 2019 in Tenerife, Canary Islands, Spain and we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 2, Chapter 6, Purusha Shukta Confirmed, Text 23. Yadasya Nabhyam, Yadasya Nabhyam Purushavaya vanrite, Purushavaya vanrite, Yadasya nabhyam nalina, Yadasya nabhyam nalina, Ahamasam mahatmana, Ahamasam mahatmana, Navidam yagya sambaran, Navidam yagya sambaran, Purushavaya vanrite, Purushavaya vanrite, Yada. At the time of Asya, his, Nabyat, from the abdomen, Malinat, from the lotus flower, Aham, myself, Asam, took my birth, Maha Atmanaha, of the great person, Na Avidam, did not know. Yagna, sacrificial, sambaran, ingredients, purusha, of the Lord, avayavan, personal bodily limbs, rite, except. Prabhupada's translation. When I was born from the abdominal lotus flower of the Lord, Mahavishnu, the great person, I had no ingredients for sacrificial performances except the bodily limbs of the great personality of Godhead. Purport. Lord Brahma, the creator of the cosmic manifestation, is known as Swayambhu, or one who was born without father and mother. The general process is that a living creature is born out of the sex combination of the male father and the female mother. But Brahma, the firstborn living being, is born out of the abdominal (coughs) lotus flower of the Mahavishnu plenary expansion of Lord Krishna. The abdominal lotus flower is part of the Lord's bodily limbs, and Brahma is born out of the lotus flower. Can you guys move forward? This is a, it's an echoing space. The abdominal lotus flower is part of the Lord's bodily limbs, and Brahma is born out of the lotus flower. Therefore, Lord Brahma is also a part of the Lord's body. Brahma, after his appearance in the gigantic hollow of the universe, saw darkness and nothing else. He felt perplexity, and from his heart, he was inspired by the Lord to undergo austerity, thereby acquiring the ingredients for sacrificial performances. But there was nothing besides the two of them, namely the personality of Mahavishnu and Brahma himself, born of the bodily part of the Lord. For sacrificial performances, many ingredients were in need, especially animals. The animal sacrifice is never meant for killing the animal, but for achieving the successful result of the sacrifice. 
The animal offered in the sacrificial fire is, so to speak, destroyed. But the next moment it is given a new life by dint of the Vedic hymns, chanted by the expert priest. When such an expert priest is not available, the animal sacrifice in the fire of the sacrificial altar is forbidden. Thus Brahma created even the sacrificial ingredients out of the bodily limbs of the Garbhadakashai Vishnu, which means that the cosmic order was created by Brahma himself. Also, nothing is created out of nothing, but everything is created from the person of the Lord. The Lord says in the Bhagavad Gita 10.8, Aham sarvasya prabhaboha mata sarvam pravartate. Everything is made from my bodily limbs, and I am therefore the original source of all creations. The impersonalists argue that there is no use in worshipping the Lord when everything is nothing but the Lord himself. The personalist, however, worships the Lord out of a great sense of gratitude, utilizing the ingredients born out of the bodily limbs of the Lord. The fruits and flowers are available from the body of the earth, and yet Mother Earth is worshipped by the sensible devotee with ingredients born from the earth. Similarly, Mother Ganges is worshipped by the water of the Ganges, and yet the worshipper enjoys the results of such worship. Worship of the Lord is also performed by the ingredients born from the bodily limbs of the Lord, and yet the worshiper who is himself yet the worshiper who is himself a part of the Lord achieves the result of devotional service to the Lord. While the impersonalist wrongly concludes that he is the Lord himself, the personalist, out of a great gratitude, worships the Lord in devotional service, knowing perfectly well that nothing is different from the Lord. The devotee therefore endeavors to apply everything in the service of the Lord because he knows that everything is the property of the Lord and that no one, no one can claim anything as one's own. This perfect conception of oneness helps the worshiper in being engaged in his loving service, whereas the impersonalist, being falsely puffed up, remains a non-devotee forever without being recognized by the Lord. When I was born from the abdominal lotus flower of the Lord Mahavishnu, the great person, I had no ingredients for sacrificial performances except the bodily limbs of the great personality of Godhead. So here, Srila Prabhupada is speaking about gratitude, and he's talking about devotional service, loving service, service with devotion and being recognized by the Lord. So these are things that we all want. If we're at all honest, even for a moment, uh, we will recognize that we want some exchange of love with somebody. Everybody wants that. Uh, We find that even people who are psychopaths or sociopaths, they love somebody. It's very interesting. I was was reading an article written by a woman who had been diagnosed as a psychopath. And she was saying that she had a very difficult time relating with other people emotionally. It was very interesting. She was explaining that it's not that every psychopath is a criminal. She said she can't... She was writing this without revealing her actual name. She said, if you tell people you're a psychopath, immediately they think you must be a serial killer or something like that. She said, but the main problem with being a psychopath is she couldn't relate to other people emotionally at all. But she still wanted a loving relationship with someone. Uh, This is natural. 
And if people can't have a loving relationship with any other human, then they get a pet. Papa would say this all the time. They, they get a dog or a cat. You know, my dog loves me. Uh, my cat loves me. Oh, or else they imagine they have some loving relationship with a movie star. Or, I mean, one of the reasons people like to watch television, especially television, is you will see the, see the same characters over and over again. You know, every week there's the same show. Or every night on the news is the same person. And you start to feel, I have a relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know this. You feel like they're your neighbor, you know. This, news, this newscaster is somebody I can trust. And we feel a relationship. So we all want that. We all want to be loved. We want to feel somebody loves me. And I can love somebody. And to have love, there has to be some exchange. There's no meaning to love. I just, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> There's some action of, of exchange. We talk about the six loving exchanges. And also here, Prabhupada's talking about being recognized by the Lord. And I, I think that this concept is is not so much talked about in ISKCON. Because we talk about the third verse of the Shikshastika, we should not want respect from anybody. Respect also means often recognition. Oh, you have done some good job. Appreciation. But we also very much want that. We want somebody, we want someone to treat us with with dignity. We don't want to be misused. And we want people to appreciate and recognize what we do. Everybody wants this. And we we want it very intensely, actually. It's It's a very, it's an extremely strong, strong desire. I mean, we we try to hide this a little bit. Because it makes us very vulnerable. You understand vulnerable? Yes, it, make, it, it makes us, yes. Uh, if, if we actually admit how much we want to be loved and how much we want to love and how much we want someone to recognize us and appreciate us, it opens us up to being very hurt because people don't necessarily love us or appreciate us or recognize us or respect us the way that we are, we are hankering for us uh, so intensely. So this, these feelings of wanting an exchange of love, devotional service, a service that's out of love and to be recognized, can only be fully satisfied when we do them with the Lord. They cannot be fully satisfied when we do them with another jiva separate from the Lord. And we all have so much experience of this. I mean, we all have huge experience of this from our childhood. You know... That we wanted mommy and daddy to love me, but sometimes they didn't treat me very lovingly. Sometimes they were tired or they had a stomach ache and they're like, leave me alone. I'm busy. I'm, my stomach hurts. Go away. Yes? Yeah. It was like that. And we became frustrated. I mean, I, when my, my earliest memory is before I could speak. I, my memory is of pictures in the mind because I didn't have words and I remember that I wanted to talk to my mother. We had servants. My mother was talking to the servant. And she was telling me to wait. And I, I can remember this feeling of frustration. You know, that I wanted to talk to my mother, but she was telling me to wait. So this is, with our, it starts with our parents and with our brothers and sisters. And then later on, you know, with our friends, with our spouse, with our children with our, you know, with the customers, 
you may cook very nicely for a customer, you serve them very nicely, and they don't appreciate it. Maybe they write a bad review on the Internet, and you're thinking, how are they writing a bad review? I was taking care of them so nicely. So this is everywhere. We get very frustrated because other conditioned souls are basically, we are all, I'm sorry to say, we're, we're very self-centered. We have a very difficult time really connecting to another person in conditioned life. It's extremely difficult. I mean, we can do it to some extent, but as, as, long, as long as we're conditioned by the modes of nature, our ability to really understand another living being and to really deeply care about them is very small. And so we're not able to give other people what they really want. Just like in, in these phones and devices, we have a battery. But the battery cannot light this room. It just, it just can't. It just doesn't have the capacity. So we infinitesimal living entities, especially when we're imagining we're separate from the Lord, we, we, our capacity is, is extremely small. But our desire for love and our desire for recognition is, is practically speaking, infinite. But Krishna can fulfill that. And so the concept of sacrificial, you know, Prabhupada uses this word, sacrifice. He, he consistently translates yagya as sacrifice. But it's important to understand what he means by this. What Prabhupada means by sacrifice is he means some sort of what we would probably call a religious ceremony or a religious ritual. And, of course, the problem with saying it's a religious ritual is the word ritual, at least in English, is a, is a negative word. We think of it as it means something mechanical. So ceremony might be a little bit better. Uh, but I don't think we have exactly the right word for yagya. When, when Prabhupada's using the word sacrifice, sacrifice, at least in English, also means like I do something difficult. I give up something that I like. But that's not the meaning of yagya at all. The meaning of yagya is some kind of ceremony. You know, some, some sort of ceremonial thing that's done according to certain rules that's used to connect the jiva to God. I mean, if, if we think about the ordinary ways we connect to other jivas in this world, and we'll find that they often involve some sort of ceremony. Like if I want to write you a letter, I have to get, nowadays, your email. And if I enter in one letter wrong, this happened to me, I was buying an airplane ticket, and instead of gmail.com, I wrote gmail.con. And so when I bought the ticket, I did not get the ticket in my email. What happened when I see, oh, I put one letter wrong. So I had to call the company and like took two or three hours to fix my mistake. So it has to be done exactly right. If you make some mistake, the, your letter will not go through. Or if I'm calling you on the phone, if I put in one number wrong, it doesn't work. So we can think of that as a kind of ceremony, right? And if I want to send you a, if I want to call you on the phone or I want to send you an email or a text message or anything, I also have to have a connection to the Internet. Yeah, I have to have enough battery in my phone or computer or I have to be plugged into the walls. So I have to have electricity. Then I have to have an Internet connection and the Internet connection has to be a certain power. 
If it's a very bad connection, then it won't go through. I'll be talking to someone on the phone, and they will not hear me. And then I have to use the correct sequence of numbers, or I have to use the correct sequence of letters. And any of those things that are not right, I will not get a connection. This is very simple. And this is true even when I am with somebody face-to-face. We have certain ways of behaving that are like ceremonies, like we may you know, offer pranams or we shake somebody's hands or you give them a hug and you kiss their cheeks or there's something that we do to connect with people. And if you do it wrong, there's a problem. You know, like in some countries, if you look someone in the eye, they are offended. Other countries, if you don't look someone in the eye, they are offended. So there's also ceremonies to connect the jiva to God. And some of these ceremonies, they have to be done exactly correct or they will not work. Prabhupada's talking here about the animal sacrifices, where you take an animal and you kill the animal, but by saying the mantras, everyone sees the animal comes back to life in a young body. They actually see this. And this, Prabhupada says, gives people faith in the Vedic mantras and gives people faith in the brahmanas. They know it worked. Just like even, uh, you know, in our modern electronics, when you send a message, sometimes it shows the other person has received it, yes? Mm. Like in WhatsApp, you have one check, two checks, and then green checks. And then you know, okay, they have received it. So how do we know with these ceremonies that God has received our offering, that God has received our message? How do you know? And people will say, well, I'm talking to God. How do I know he is hearing me? So they had these ceremonies where you could see a proof. You could see. Here's the animal, you slaughter the animal, then they say these mantras, and the animal comes back to life. Huh? What does it say? The next moment. So the animal offered in the sacrificial fire is, so to speak, destroyed, but the next moment it is given a new life. All this works. Right? This is why we have so much faith in modern science, where the scientists are like the priests. <laughs> There's a book I read many, many years ago about modern medicine. Very good book. An old book, Confessions of a Medical Heretic. It was written by a medical doctor. Heretic is somebody who's um, like someone who's a blasphemer of religion is called a heretic. Um, like if you're raised a Christian and then you denounce Christ and you, you become a heretic. So he was saying he's a medical heretic because he's a medical doctor. But he was saying, what is wrong with medicine? So he's, although he's a medical doctor, he was criticizing medicine. And it was very interesting in his book, he talked about that the medical doctors are like the priests. (laughs) (laughs) And he was saying, like, you go and it's like you're offering a sacrifice. And it was, I read the book many, many years ago. I don't remember all of the details. But it was just fascinating. He was saying, where do you go in society where you take off your clothes? You have somebody said this is a very strange thing that we're doing. You know, you go to the doctor's office, you take off your clothes, you put on this little paper gown, right? And you don't even know what they're take this pill, take this injection, and you will be better. And I bless you to be better. And you know, <laughs> so these are our modern priests: is the the doctors, the scientists, and they do things that work, right? We see it works. I use my phone, I can talk to somebody in Argentina, and I can see their face. Oh, yes. 
This is the evidence that the science works. And so therefore we trust them. We trust them. Just like in the Vedic times, people trust the priests that they could do magic. And like modern science, it's like magic. Yes? Isn't it? Yes. Yes? I, I take this little box out of my pocket and I touch a few buttons and the next day a package comes to my house. <laughs> yes? Maybe in an hour in some places, some big cities of the world. I, I knew one devotee, he was delivering for Amazon on a bicycle in New York City. And he told me that he was risking his life actually to make these deliveries. You know, one hour deliveries. I said, what were you mostly delivering? He said, diapers and toilet paper. <laughs> so I said, you should not be risking your life for diapers and toilet paper. <laughs> but it's like this. You, you pick up your phone, you press like two, three buttons, and in one hour, then your diapers, your toilet paper, it is there at your door. So this is like Propti City, the mystic power. Right? Mystic power, Propti City, you just... I want a mango, and you reach out your hand, you have have a mango in your hand. So because the scientists are giving us these results, uh, therefore, we, we listen to them. We, we follow their philosophy, uh, right? Isn't it a fact? And all of us, every day, we are doing these different ceremonies of connection that are given to us by the scientists. So in former ages, there were ceremonies of connection given by the priests. And again, they had to be done, you had to have certain ingredients, like we have to have electricity, we have to have a battery, we have to have a phone, we have to have an internet. You have to have certain ingredients, and you have to have a certain ritual. So in the same way, in order to connect with the Lord, you have to have certain ingredients, and you have to have a certain ritual. Like we say, okay, we have the fire, we have the ghee, we have the wood, we have the, we have the ingredients, and we have a certain ritual, and we say certain prayers in a certain way, and then we get a connection. And when we get this connection, then we get this love and recognition that we are desiring. You know, I, I am trying to call my son or my friend, why? Or my, my business partner or my customer, I am looking for love and Recognition, that's what I'm really looking for. If I'm, if I'm completely honest, I can say, well, I'm trying to buy some shoes or I'm trying to sell some jewelry. But if I really look at, why am I doing that? What is, what is it under that I'm looking for? And I keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and I will see, I'm looking for this sort of relationship. I'm looking for this sort of satisfaction. So the ideas through the, the yagyas, through the Vedic yagyas, you have this with God. And one becomes, one gets a result. The result you get is you become satisfied. And this indication, killing the animal, reviving the animal, this is simply to give people faith uh, in the Vedic mantras. And, and Prabhupada says, if you don't have someone who knows how to do it, then you don't kill the animal. <laughs> you, know? you have to have, it's not about killing an animal. That's not what it's about. That was the, the, the proof. And people think, oh, the Vedic sacrifices are for killing animals so we can eat them. That was, that was not what was happening. It was a display of power. As, as a side note, something just kind of on the side, that if you saw Brahmanas doing this, you would have a lot of respect for the Brahmanas because you would be afraid. <laughs> you, you know, you see Brahmanas, they curse somebody. I curse you to be a pig. They become a pig. 
And so you become a little scared. And so in Vedic society, we find throughout the Shastra, all of this respecting the Brahmanas, respecting the Brahmanas, you can't defend the Brahmanas, you can't defend the Brahmanas. So the Brahmanas didn't have a lot of, generally, they didn't have a lot of money, usually. Sometimes some Brahmanas were rich, but generally they didn't have a lot of money. And the Brahmanas didn't have political power. Yeah? They didn't have, so they didn't have political power, they didn't have economic power. So what was their power? Their power was this subtle power. And even the government was afraid of them. So one of the ways that the Brahmanas ruled society was that the people in government were afraid. The people in business, agriculture, they were afraid. The people in the crafts, the arts, they were afraid that if I don't follow the Brahmanas, I'm going to be cursed. No, and I'm actually going to be in today. I saw that Brahmana turn the old horse into the new horse. No, so I the people had this this fear. And when the Brahmanas lost their powers at the beginning of Kali Yuga, when Shringi cursed Parikit, and therefore the Brahmanas lost their powers, people lost faith in the Brahmanas. Why should I listen to the Brahmanas? What can they do? You know, they're just some old religious people. I don't have to listen to them and, and this is this has become a problem. Why they lose their powers? Because they misuse them. Krishna, whenever people misuse their power, Krishna takes it away. Because Shingi cursed the king. Yes, because he cursed the king. Uh, this is a general principle. When we, when we misuse something, Krishna takes it away. Like if you take that water bottle and you start hitting Mahalakshmi with it, I will take. I will say, hey, give me that water bottle. Yes? This is natural. Or maybe Petit and he'll say, hey, give me that one. What are you doing? Don't you hit Mahalakshmi with the water bottle. Yeah? No good. Maybe throw the water, yes. <laughs> so, so Krishna also does this. Now what are we going, this is what's really funny in this, in this verse and purport, is that Lord Brahma, he's there in the beginning of the universe, and he has, like everybody else, a desire to connect in love and to get recognized by someone. This is what he wants, like everybody else. He's alone. I'm lonely. Okay, where am I doing in the darkness? Where is everybody? <laughs> like you're in this dark, what does Prabhupada say, the hollow shell of the universe. I'm in this dark, lonely place. Nobody's with me. Okay? So then the Lord says, do austerity to understand. So he did austerity and he can understand. I'm st- the Lord is also here. And uh, he's the one I should connect with. But how do I connect with him? How do I do the ceremonies to connect? There's no ingredients. How do I call you? There's no, I have no phone. No? I have no phone. There's no power. I'm, I'm out someplace. Sometimes we go someplace we have no, we didn't bring our phone, right? How will I do it? So he says, I have no ingredients. So here he had to take the ingredients from the Lord's body. In order to connect with the Lord, he had to use the body of the Lord. And Prabhupada said, he's also part of the body of the Lord. So this is actually the fact. Whatever we do to connect with the Lord, we are using the Lord to connect with the Lord. And we are also part of the Lord. But we can still do that. You might say, well, that doesn't sound very nice. Sounds like I'm like cutting off your hand or something, <laughs> using your body. 
But the Lord is not like that. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnadujate Purnasya Purnam Adaya Purnam Eva Vasishate. You can take something from the Lord, but he's still complete. If you take his hand, he still has a hand. In fact, he has unlimited hands. So if I take some ingredient from the body of the Lord to use to worship the Lord, I haven't actually taken anything from the Lord at all. He's still complete. And I'm still complete. And what I've taken is complete. So this is a little mysterious. And the impersonalists don't understand this. They, they are understanding I am part of the body of the Lord. And everything I can use from, for my ceremonies, it is also the potty, part of the Lord. So why have a ceremony? Just be. Just exist. And I'm God because I'm part of God. But that's not satisfying. It's not satisfying. We can say we're all part of this temple, so we'll just exist. But it's not satisfying. We want to have an interaction. We want to talk together. We want to eat together. We want to go someplace together. We want to do things. Just to be one is not, it doesn't give us what we're desiring. And so these impersonalists, they can't stay. Avasuddha they're not actually purified. And they, again, come back to the plane of relationships. So I had a, a very interesting, there was uh, about a year or so ago, one devotee told me about this uh, Indian woman in Singapore who had died of cancer and she had uh, had a near-death experience. She had then come back into her body. And she was, uh, she was a follower of like Buddhism and Sankaracharya. She knew about Krishna, but she was an impersonalist. And she described that when she died, she felt that she was merging into the Brahman. But it must have been also some Paramatma. Anyway, she said that she felt like she was everybody and everybody was her, that everything was one. She said if she wanted to know what somebody was thinking, she would become them. So she was in this state for some time. I don't remember how long she was. She was in a hospital. The body was in the hospital, so she was medically dead for some time. When she came back in her body, she wrote a book, and she made videos, became very famous. She became very famous because when she came back to her body, after like four days, her body became completely healed. And she had had fourth stage cancer that had spread throughout her whole body. So every organ in her body had failed. Very severe. And within a few days, she was completely, her body was completely healed. So it became very, very famous. People were more interested in the medical miracle than in her spiritual realizations. <laughs> yeah. But the thing that really struck me, uh, I saw part of a video, and then when I was in a devotee's house in Bahrain, she had the book, and I read some chapters. What really struck me was that the woman said, why did you, they asked her, why did you come back to your body? Why didn't you just stay? Because you're describing as full of peace, and I was so happy, and it was wonderful. She said, because there was no separation between me and anybody else, and therefore there was no loving relationship. Mm -hmm. She said, I would rather be in a physical body and have all the trouble of being in a physical body and have the illusion of being separate 
so I could enjoy loving relationships. And I thought this is exactly what Prabhupada says all the time. That the impersonalists, they can't stay in the Brahman or even Paramatma. They can't stay. Because in that condition, there's no loving relationship. They feel, I am one with everybody. Everyone is one with me. I am one with everybody. I am one with God. God is one with me. And that is true. But it is not a complete truth. And it's not satisfying. And as Prabhupada said here, they can't do any loving service and they don't get any recognition from the Lord. So although it is true that we are all part of the body of God, and it is true that everything is part of the body of God, and it is true that we are all one, we are also not all one. We are also separate individuals. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we as a separate individual, we are part of Krishna's body, but still, I can choose to use ingredients in this world, which are all part of Krishna's body, to perform some ceremony to connect with him. And when I do that, then I feel satisfied. I feel this love, and I feel this recognition. So questions, comments, corrections, additions, subtractions. Thank you very much for the class and make me many things much more clear, especially about the Jagyas, Mm. how they were meant for something very similar to the Japa. That's the Jagya we are doing, no? Yes, Japa Jagya. Japa Jagya. Then the connection is much more evident. Yes. Because we saw the Jagya as more like a ritual Yes. than a ceremony to connect. Correct. Yeah, that's very... Very nice. I mean, we can think in our daily life, we can think about that too. You know, when my father was alive, every Saturday morning he would call me on the phone. Mm. So you could say, that is a ritual. But it wasn't a ritual because we had love. But you could say, it's a ritual. Saturday at 11 o'clock, he goes to his phone and he pushes this number, this number, this number, this number, this number. It makes my phone ring. I pick it up. So there was this kind of ritual. And if you don't do the ritual right, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't about a ritual. It was about a connection. So there is a ritual. There is a ritualistic aspect to a yagya. There, there definitely is. Mm-hmm. And there are, uh, there are many yagyas which are very, very particular about how they are done or they will not work. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, some of the yagyas are not so particular, like chanting the Lord's name. It's not so particular. We, there's not hard and fast rules. So it's it's not like that. But there are offenses. So every sadhana is a yagya? Hmm? Every sadhana is a yagya? All of our sadhana is a kind of yagya, yes. Absolutely. And some of them have very, very exact rules and some of them don't I mean most of the yagyas that have very exact rules we don't we can't do them in Kali Yuga we we just we just can't we, we don't have the capability so okay you can do some yagyas that don't have very exact rules because otherwise we're kind of lost does that make sense
But there's still some rules, like we have ten offenses. And Bhakti Vinod, Bhakti Sinanta Prabhupada also quotes this. They say that you can chant so it's just the alphabet, it's, that it's not the name. You know, it's, it's very interesting, because we talk about Nama Bas, that if someone says, I'm going to the Sinarama, they get the result of Nama Bas. But there's ways of chanting that are so offensive that it's not the holy name. You're just saying the alphabet. So even in chanting the holy name, there's some system that if you follow it, you connect, and if you don't follow it, you don't connect. Or you can have like a partial connection. Like sometimes you call someone on the phone and it's a very bad connection. And we're always saying, are you there? Are you there? Right? You've had these phone calls? So then we're going, are you there? Yes, and then we can, and are you there? (laughs) Constantly, in the whole connection, and there'll be some echo, and the person cuts out, and you said, I didn't hear what you said for the last minute. It was cut out. Can you repeat that, please? We have phone calls like this, right? So this is like Namabas chanting. So Namaparad chanting, there's basically no connection. It's, it's like you're calling, but nobody's, there's not really any answer. And then Namabas, it's like this, there's this kind of bad connection. It's a connection, but it's a bad connection. So that's also, that's also the case. There, there's, there's, some, there's something about it that we could call a ritual, but the word ritual is a really... It's not a good word because it, it says to us something that's mechanical. Mm. It, it has that, that shade of meaning. Um, so we talk about, you know, a process. Our Prabhupada will use the word technique to train people in the systematic techniques of spiritual life. So we use those sort of words uh, or a ceremony. Is, it, is another which was, is a word that Prabhupada doesn't use very much, but it's that's also a very good word. Yes, everything we're doing is like. Yes, Prabhupada. There are uh, many rules and regulations that we don't know why they are there. Yes. But we follow them because we have faith. Yes. Because someone told us. Yes. It shall be done this way. Yes. Like, for example, they were they were asked why. Uh, a lady when she is in the menstru- during the menstruation cannot go around to Lassi or cannot uh, mm-hmm. enter in the altar you know what is the uh, we can say scientific well it's interesting answer. you ask this question uh, there was one I, I just studied Ayurveda for one year I just did a very beginning level but I, I was fascinated with how many of the rules that Prabhupada gave us mm. had some basis in Ayurvedic science. You know, that there's... The universe works in a particular way. And I think it's exactly the same way. If you're a child and, you know, your mother hands you the telephone and says, do you want to talk to Grandpa? Okay, you have to push this button. You have to do... Th- and the child doesn't know why does pushing... Even I don't know why, you know, I'm using a computer, I'm using a phone. I don't know why certain things do certain things. 
I trust someone and then I do it and it actually works. But I have no idea why it works. I mean, I have some general idea, but I don't really know. So I think it's, it's like that with all these things. One thing we have to be careful of is, again, in this Kali Yuga, we can't really do most of these ceremonies that have all these complicated exact rules. We're not doing them right anyway. I mean, just the honest truth is we're, we're usually not doing them right. Because you just pronounce one word wrong, you get a different result. <laughs> there was that story, the two stories in the Bhagavatam. One with uh, this king who wanted a son. And in the middle of the yajna, the wife went up to the priest and said, actually, I want a daughter. <laughs> and so the priest ended up saying a different wording. And, you know, during the, at the yajna, they get this payasa and they feed it to the wife. That was their fertility clinic, you know. <laughs> and then she had a baby girl. And at first the father was very happy because he had no children, but then he said, wait a minute, I said I wanted a son to be my successor. And that became a whole interesting story. Then Vasista turned the baby into a boy, and then later, yeah, and then later the prince was with his army on their horses, and they went into Lord Shiva's forest, and Parvati had had a curse on this forest because one time she was enjoying with Lord Shiva and they were naked and some sages came to visit Lord Shiva without knocking I guess I don't know how you knock on a forest (laughs) you know so they just came into the forest and she had this curse anyone who comes this forest will become a female so when this prince and his soldiers and their horses went into the forest they all became females even the horses so, you know, he was born a girl, and then Vasista turns him into a boy, and then when he's a young man, he, again, he gets, he gets turned into a woman. And then the woman, she didn't want to go back to the kingdom. She was embarrassed. So she stayed in the forest, and there uh, she ended up getting married and having children. This became the ancestors in the Moon Dynasty, because she married the son of the moon. Anyway, after some time, she did go back to the kingdom, and then the matter was brought to Vasista. So her father said to Vasista, you already turned her into a boy, and now Shiva has turned her, or Parvati has turned her into a girl. So, you know, try to fix this. So Vasista made a, a deal with Lord Shiva. He said that one month you can be a boy and one month a girl. So for the rest of for the rest of that person's life they were one month boy, one month girl. And as a as a man he also got married and had children. So he had children as a woman and had children as a man. At the end of life he took Vanaprastha and went back to Godhead. But as a man or as a woman? I do. When you go back to Godhead you go in your spiritual body. It doesn't matter. Those things are not important. So anyway, that's one story in the ninth canto of the Bhagavatam about a yajna that went wrong. You know, they're doing this yajna, they're doing this ritual, and the priest says the mantra wrong, and so the result was different. And the other example is with um, Tvasta, that Tvasta's son, Vishwarup, was killed by Indra. That Vishwarup was... uh, Indra had disrespected his priest, Brahaspati, and so he had no priest. So he was told, I think by Lord Brahma, you can have Vishwarup as your priest, 
But you should understand that although he will be the priest of the demigods, he also likes the demons because his mother comes from the family of the demons. So he will also, and you, you're going to have to tolerate this. But when Indra found that Vishwarup was making also offerings for the demons, he became so angry, he cut, he had three heads, Vishwarup, he cut off his three heads. So Twasta, the father of Vishwarup, was, was very angry that Indra has my son at his, as his priest. He knew that my son also likes the demons. He already knew that. And still he kills him. So he says, I'm going to kill this Indra. Indra has this problem, actually, several times of people wanting to kill him. He has a lot of... <laughs> you know, his aunt, Diti, wanted to kill him also. Oh, yeah. He has this, yeah. She was both his aunt and his stepmother. Anyway, so Twasta does this yagya, and he asks for somebody who will be the enemy of Indra. But the mantra was said wrong, and because the mantra was said wrong, he ended up having someone... He ended up having someone where Indra would be his enemy. Instead of, he is Indra's enemy, it would be someone for whom Indra is the enemy. So it became opposite. And of course, that of the Yagya was produced uh, Vitrasura. Vitrasura, uh, he was supposed to be the enemy of Indra, but actually Indra was his enemy. And Indra killed him instead of him killing Indra. So this was the result of him saying the mantra a little bit wrong. So generally, in the, at the present time in Kali Yuga, we, we really we really shouldn't be very rule conscious because it's all stupid. When, when people get really into this rule consciousness, it's like they're from another age. They're just, they're in the wrong place. It's, it's like if you're here in Tenerife and you're talking about everything has to be punctual. <laughs> we say, I'm sorry, you're, you're, not in, you're not in the right place. We don't do that here. It's not how it works. And if you try to be very punctual in Tenerife, simply you'll offend people. You know, it just won't work. And you can say, well, in Germany we're punctual. It says, I don't care, but you're not in Germany. So if you want to say, well, in Dwarpa Yuga, everybody followed all the rules, but we're not in Dwarpa Yuga. I mean, it was very interesting to me when I started worshipping uh, Shalagram. I was given my Sudarshan Shalagram by Gorkeshava Prabhu, who's an expert in deity worship. And so he said to me, okay, this is the, if I'm going to give you this Shalagram, you have to do all these rules. So I looked at it, I said, I tell you honestly, Prabhu, I'm not going to be able to do this, what you've given me. And then he said, oh, there's another system. I said, there's another system? I thought there's only one system. <laughs> and he's one, one of the top experts in the world. And Iskand definitely one of the top, like, two or three experts. And even in the world, he's a very top expert in, in Archana. So he said, I'll give you a second system. So I read that. I said, this is better, but still I will not be able to do this. And he said, well, there's another system from Bhakti Vinod, and he gave me that one. I said, this is almost perfect. And then he customized it for me. This thing you're asking about, specifically Prabhupada never said this. It's very interesting. Uh, Prabhupada didn't talk about this only one time in one letter. I mean, when Prabhupada was, was here with us, we actually the first years, we never followed this, that women couldn't go on the altar at certain times. We never did that. And there was one letter where Prabhupada wrote, he said that the 
Smart.vidi does not allow the women to do deity worship. He said, but the Goswami Vidi allows. He said, but better not to do it. And he said, most important thing is that the seva and the cooking must not be stopped for any reason. Mm. So what Prabhupada said is, according to the Goswami rules, it is allowed, the woman can go on the altar and she can do everything. He said, but better not to do it. But most important thing is you don't stop the seva. But all these details, can you go around Tulsi, can you water Tulsi, can you hold your japa beads, can you open the Bhagavatam, this is coming from Smartavidi. It's not coming from Goswami Vidi. And it certainly isn't coming from Srila Prabhupada. Mm. Now, some of those things we should probably follow depending on where we are. So we have to be sensitive to the environment. So if we have a temple in Germany, everything had better be punctual. Because otherwise the German people will not accept. You say your Bhagavatam class starts at 8 o'clock and you're starting at 8.03. This is nonsense. And they, they won't accept. But if you try to be completely punctual in Tenerife, people will not accept. You know, you, one has to be sensitive to the time, place, and circumstance. So if we're having a temple in an area where there's a lot of smartas, like a, especially places in South India, so better the women don't circumambulate Tulsi then, they don't do it, you know. Because otherwise people will be so offended. I had this situation in Chicago after our first child was born. So when he was nine days old, it was Govardhan Puja. And so I brought him to the temple for Govardhan Puja. And this elderly Indian lady came up to me. How, how old is your baby? I said, nine days. And she was so upset. Mm-hmm. How can you come to the temple nine days after giving birth? <laughs> Why? Because you're contaminated. Consider 40 days. 40 after birth, you're also like menstruation, say. And so she said, how can you come to the temple? She never came to the temple again. She and her family, they never came. They said, you people, you are bogus. You are not following. So just like when, when we installed Krishna Balaram in, in, the, in Vrindavan, Prabhupada had the local priests come and do certain rituals. He said, if we don't have them do these rituals, they will say the deities are not installed. Mm. and they will say our temple is bogus and they will not come so these things are they are according to time, place and circumstance that we have to be sensitive what, is, what are the um, I mean this one is like a silly example but I was in one uh, Muslim country where the devotees are all Indian so I was scheduled to give class at 8 o'clock at night so at 10 to 8 I was leaving I said okay let's leave, let's go and we're in the car, and the town president calls. So, what are you doing now? Or we are on our way. He said, you're on our way now. You will be on time. This is very bad. This is very bad. He said, you cannot be on time. And I said, we're already in the car. I'm not going to turn around and go back. I said, I'll just go and, and chant, read, you know, something. So I get there at 8 o'clock, and I'm the only one there. Nobody's there. And everybody is coming in, and when they are coming in, I'm, I'm reading them. <laughs> So I got the message next day. This was very bad. They say, the teacher should not wait for the students. The students have to wait for the teacher. So the teacher has to arrive late. The teacher has to arrive late. (laughs) So next day, I said, I am not leaving until 8.20. (laughs) So next day, I I arrived there, bless you, I arrived there at 8.30, and everybody was already there. 
And then they were very happy. <laughs> of course, next day, everybody came at 8 o'clock because they were thinking she's going to come at 8 o'clock. But I didn't come until 8.30, and they were very happy. But in America, where I'm from, it's not like that. I've been a teacher in America for decades. Teacher gets there first. You get there first, you set up the room, you make sure, you know, your equipment is working and everything, and your mood is, I'm serving the students, and I come early. I mean, very unusual in America that the teacher is late. And the students are expected to be on time. Teacher comes early, and students come on time. That is, in, that is the standard in America. But for these people from India, that was not the standard. The you can sta- say in Germany, too. First, you can find the teacher. They will come early. I think so. They will come, you know, fi- at least five minutes early. Before it was, you know. Now... Yes, at least I five minutes. A lot of years, but my first yes. years in Germany, it was like that. I find every day the teacher. The teachers come early and they're everything and ready, and then students come exactly on time. So if classes is coming later, or even yeah. So if classes at eight o'clock, the teacher is there by seven fifty, and the students are there by eight o'clock. So mm-hmm. in each, but when I did that, it was funny. I didn't defend them exactly. But they said, I made them offend me. <laughs> they said, now by your behavior, we have offended you. You have caused us to offend you. Okay. So a lot of, a lot of the rules that we follow depends on where we are. What is our circumstance? And this we have to be sensitive to. Because what will satisfy people in one culture, that very thing will offend people in another culture. Same behavior. Exactly the same behavior. You know, so if you're in Western country and you tell women, oh, you're having your menstrual period, you cannot do this, you can... They will be very offended. But if you're in South India with the smartas and you allow them, they will be very offended. So it, it's... Mm. And the honest truth, the real honest truth, is we are not able in 2019 to do these rituals that have all these rules. That, I mean, we really have to be honest. Which means that some of the Vedic ceremonies that are very powerful are not available to us. But I hear, like, for example, if the uh, woman having the menstruation period, if she goes around to Lassi, to Lassi will get dry. Well, that's probably a superstition. <laughs> and Indians tend to be very superstitious yeah. as a rule no it's like they I, tend to be very superstitious it's like the, the Kunti scene you know that if here I give Kunti to anyone everyone but for example in Mauritius uh, what is there they say Kuntis are only for people that are not eating meat but that's probably a superstition also. you know because if they are eating meat they commit offense But then I read, the other day I read an article that was saying, no, that Kunti is up for purifying. But, but also, you know, traditionally, this was given at initiation. Yeah. Kunti. <laughs> so traditionally, it was one of the things given at initiation. This is why I'm saying, you know, if, if, if we go to this place of arguing about rules, then it's not going to work. It's just, it's just not going to work. And, you know, in the beginning of ISKCON, Srila Prabhupada was very lenient about all these things. Yeah. 
very, very lenient. I mean, it wasn't anything. I mean, Prabhupada, Prabhupada himself would wear, wear a kurta on the altar, for example. And we, we see that Prabhupada would adjust these things. You know, the Sastric Advisory Council just recently, we wrote a paper, it's on the GBC website, about uh, fasting on Ram Navami. Mm-hmm. And we write about Vishnu Tattva Appearance Day in general. And so many people want to know, what is the rule? <laughs> and the answer is, there isn't a rule. If you want to follow the rule, the rule is you fast from everything, from sunrise to sunrise. That is the rule. So if that's what you want to follow, if you want to follow the rule, that's the rule. Then on, you know, Vishnu Tattva Appearance Day, there's no feast for anybody. There's no prasadam even. That's the rule. But you'll find that Srila Prabhupada, like with Ram Navami, if it was, if Prabhupada's writing a letter in October, he'll say, on Ram Navami you fast until evening. But on Ram Navami day, he would be in a temple and he would say, serve prasadam at, at midday. So we had this funny thing that when it was not Ram Navami day, Prabhupada is saying fast until the evening. When it's Ram Navami day, wherever he was, he was saying fast until noon. And so we were getting, and some people, well, Prabhupada said this. Oh, but Prabhupada said this. Though this is the rule. No, this is the rule. (laughs) And what we found is that Prabhupada was doing things according to the circumstances. And then the devotees were saying, we should only eat very light prasadam, like a kadasi. And sometimes Prabhupada would say that. But whenever he was on Ram Navami, he would have a grand feast with grains. Every time. So many times we are looking for the rule. Because, because there is some basis to that. It's like, if I give you my email address and you have one letter wrong, it doesn't work. And so we have some sense that if I don't do this ceremony properly, Krishna will not be pleased and I will not connect. Hmm. So there's some truth to that. And it's not that we should just say, well, I'm not going to follow any rules. You know, we can't, we, we don't go to that place and say, well, I don't just like I was telling you about worshiping Shalagram. If you just say, well, I'm not going to, now you can do that you can actually not follow any rules at all if you are perfectly God-realized. That is true. Why? Because then you are connected with Krishna all the time. You don't need a ceremony to connect. It's not necessary. Imagine if you had a telepathic connection with somebody. You understand telepathic? Telepathic. Mm. Do you need to call them on the phone? No. You don't need a ceremony. As soon as, if you are telepathically connected with someone all the time, no ceremony is necessary. It's not necessary. So for the great devotees who realize their connection with Krishna at every moment, I read, there was an interesting book I read about this one Christian saint. Simple man. He was a monk. And he had an experience as a young man where he was looking at a tree and he was meditating on how this tree is part of God. 
And he had this realization of the presence of God. And then for the, then he became a monk, and he said, I always feel the presence of God. And he talks about how does he feel the presence of God. But he says, for me, I find the rituals in the monastery to be disturbing. Because I already feel God's presence. Why do I have to do that? He said, I do them, but I don't like them. And Madhavindapuri writes this. He says, all obeisances to all my prayers and my rituals, all obeisances, but I'm, I'm not following them. <laughs> so, but that cannot be imitated. Right. If somebody says, and this is why we have most of the pure devotees, they do follow the rituals. Generally, the pure devotees, they even though they don't need to, they usually do it because otherwise people will say, oh, they didn't do it, I don't have to do it either. You know, I met this one Indian lady, she said, oh, I, don't, I am always feeling Krishna, I don't need to chat. <laughs> so, you know, people become like that, they become cheap. And so we, we do have to do some ceremonies. We have our Sankirtan Yagya, which is a ceremony. <coughs> we have our Japa Yagya, which is a ceremony. We have our Archana. And we do have certain rituals that we have to do and there's a certain minimum but if we're fighting about the rules then we're really we've lost it it's, we're from another age and I think many times people fighting about the rules it, either from this life they had some smart background or maybe in another life seriously I mean some of our devotees in another life they were probably smart to Brahmanas I have a very good friend in South India who's from a Smarta Brahmana family. Um, she's an you know, initiated devotee. <coughs> and she was telling me that when her parents were, are visiting, she has to follow these rules or they get very upset. Like you have a rule with the Smartas when you can take your clothes off the clothesline. If you take your clothes off the clothesline and you're not completely purified, then you've made all your clothes dirty again by touching them. Mm. Or if you want to sit on your bed, if you sit on your bed, now you're contaminated. But if you put some wool cloth on your bed, you're not contaminated. So they have all these rules like that. The other problem with, with these rules is that we don't know anymore what is actually a rule and what is a superstition. Mm -hmm. it's, a very, it's a real problem. So I'm sure you've heard this story. It's a very, very well-known story. So in India, there are temples like this. Like our temple, this temple is open. It's a tropical climate, and the doors are just open. And many times in India, like you see the Jagannath Temple in Mayapur, there's just a roof. Mm. Yeah. There's no walls. So anybody can just walk in, and even animals. Animals, insects, they can just come in. So one of these temples in India, when they were uh, offering the boga... A cat came in. And so the guru was there and he said, the cat is going to go on the altar and eat the boga. So tie up the cat and keep the cat tied up until after we've made the offering and after we do the artik. So they tied up the cat and after the, after the offering and the artik, when they were distributing prasadam, they also gave some prasadam to the cat. So animals have some intelligence and this cat understood if I come to this temple at this time, I will get food. Mm. So the next day again, the cat came. And the next day again, they tied up the cat. And then afterwards, they untied the cat and fed the cat. 
So this went on for many, many years. So then the guru died. So the guru died, but the cat was still coming. (laughs) Then after a while, the cat died. And then people said, oh, we have to find a cat to tie up during the offering. (laughs) (laughs) And it became one of the rituals of the temple. Uh, So I I read, I remember reading something uh, where this woman said that when she was growing up, whenever her mother would make bread, she would always cut off the two ends of the bread before she would store it. They used to have what's called a bread box. So it used to be on the counter, there was a box where you keep fresh bread. So when this woman grew up and had her own family, whenever she made bread, she would cut off the ends of the bread. And then she would store it. And one day she asked her mother, why did you do this? She said, well, we had a very small bread box. <laughs> so these kind, of, these kind of things happen. And, you know, you, you, see, you see some guru doing something and you think, oh, that's a rule has to be done like this. And it becomes part of the tradition when it actually isn't from the Shastra. You, you see this, uh, at least in American baseball, it's very common, that before the person throws the ball, they, may ha- they do a little ritual. And each of the pitchers has their own little ritual. And how did this happen? It happened because one time before they threw a very good ball, they touched their cap. They just, they were adjusting. And then they threw a ball and it was, they won the game. And so it became part of them, oh, if I want to win the game, I have to touch my hat like this. And it becomes part of their ritual. So we have to be very, very careful. We have, there's many, many, many things in ISKCON that are not in Shastra. They didn't come from Prabhupada, they didn't come from Shastra, and somehow somebody went someplace in India where people did them and think, oh, we have to do this. And that became part of ISKCON. And we have to remember there's different parts of India and different parts of India, people have different rituals. Mm. You know, what they do in, in Hyderabad and what they do in Mumbai, it's not, it's not the same. Even from ISKCON. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see different centers, it's different. Mm-hmm. Yes. But we have a lot of fun. Like people yawn and go, what is this? The people are snapping their fingers when they yawn. You see some devotees do this. They're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why the ghost prevented? Why will ghost? I mean, all these things. <laughs> we have all these things. So it's interesting because some of our rules are actually coming from Shastra. And some of our rules are actually coming from Shiva Prabhupada. And some of our rules are just some superstitious thing. So it's sometimes very difficult to tell. But it was an interesting thing for me when I was working with Gorkeshava and I found that deity worship could be personalized. I had no idea. So I, you still have to follow some rules. It's not like you just do whatever you want. But it can also be personalized. So this is... Yeah. It's like, I always have this feeling... And when someone tries to impose a rule far beyond the relations with the people, yes, you know, and the feelings of the people, then I feel like I used to. It's for example, we used to celebrate Yamastami in the farm, 
And we will invite everyone to do Abhishek. Yes. To Radha Krishna. It's a special day. And I know for, for a special days, we do special things. Like here for Jagannath, the day of Jamastami is special. Or the day of Ratayatra, anyone can touch him, anyone can take him out. Yeah, yeah. Anyone, even in, in Jagannath Puri, that they don't allow people to enter. When it's the Ratayatra day, even the most down they can approach yes. Jagannath. Yes, yes, no? There are some feelings like that. No? So I, I got that. No? So then uh, another one took over and say, no more bathing, Radha Krishna is not authorized, you know, nobody can do that. And I remember Ayamastami, people crying, guests crying because they were not allowed to bathe Radha Krishna. And for me that was like such an impression in my heart that they said, this rule is making people suffer and disconnect. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, this sort of tension. Yeah, yeah. Between, if we don't follow the rules, we're not connecting with Krishna, because there's a certain way to connect with Krishna. And at the same time, if you make it all about the rules, you lose the connection with Krishna. Mm. And it's it's a difficult thing, because you don't want to say to people, "Well, just be like this Christian monk and, and find the presence of God everywhere without any rules." Mm. That's true. But most people cannot do that. And if you tell people just to do that, they will just do all nonsense in the name of spirituality. And then if you tell people you can only connect with God if you follow all the rules, that is also not true. Because Krishna is everywhere. He is everywhere. So it's... it's you know, it, it, it both things are true and both things are not true. Like a Chintya Vedavidata. Maybe, but it's it's both things are true and both things are not true. And so we have to be very, very careful that we don't think this is only true or this is only not true. It is true that anybody can fully connect with God anywhere and at any time without following any rules at all. Because Krishna is in everyone's heart. And the only requirement is sincerity and desire. And there are stories like that, of that thief who went to Vrindavan to steal Krishna's jewels, and Krishna came in front of him. So there's, if the desire is strong enough and the sincerity is strong enough, anybody can connect with God anywhere without... They don't have to know anything, they don't have to... Nothing! They don't have to have a guru, they don't have to be an initiated, they don't have to be anything! I think most people think, I don't need a guru, for what? But that's true! I have my spiritual life, but it's true. But it actually is true. It is actually true. The holy name does not wait for initiation. That's true. If somebody in great anxiety, great desire, oh Rama, we have these statements in the Shastra. The Muslim is saying, ha Rama, as he's being killed by a pig. He has no guru, he has no nothing. So it's true, but it's not true. It doesn't mean you can say, I don't need a guru, I don't need any rules, I don't need any anything. I'm just going to go do whatever I want. As soon as you say that, you're not connecting with Krishna. So it's also true to say, you have to follow all the rules exactly. You make one mistake in the rule, it's not going to work. That's also true. It's true. 
one little, little mistake, it will not work. Krishna will not be pleased. Guru will not be pleased. You will not connect. That's true. But it's also not true. So both things are there. And uh, another example I can give you is, so I have two sons, and both of them have a dishwasher machine in their house, a machine for washing the dishes. So, but they have different rules about how they want you to use this machine. My youngest son says you can put anything in the machine. My oldest son says you cannot put anything that is wood, and you cannot put anything that has writing on it. Like you have some glass measuring jars, and it will show the measurements it's like painted on. He says if you put anything with the writing, it will come off. And if you put wood, it will damage it. So when I'm at my youngest son's house, I said, why do you put these things in? He says, if we are not meant to have it, then we're not meant to have it. (laughs) (laughs) So they have different rules. And then they have different rules where you put the dishes away. You know, so at one son's house, they put the plates over here. Another son's house, they put the plates over here. So if I want to love my son, when I am at his house, I have to follow his rules. I cannot be at my oldest son's house and say, I'm going to put the wooden things in the dishwasher because your brother does it. He'll say, I don't care what my brother does. You're in my house. You know, if I say, well, at your brother's house, I put the dishes in the left cabinet. He said, but now you're in my house. You put the dishes in the right cabinet. So this is a ritual. What cabinet you put the dishes in, why does it matter? It doesn't matter. But it's love. If I love my son, I will put the dishes where he wants me to put the dishes. Is that correct? And if I do it wrong, he will not be happy. You know, I would be putting it wrong and my son would come and say, Mata, what are you doing? You cannot put it like this. So there's also something like that. If I love Krishna, these rituals have come from Krishna, I will do it the way he wants. And if he says it must be done exactly like this, then I will do it exactly like this. So that is also true. It's not that it's not true. And Krishna, I think, understands us. Yes, so it, you, know, you can see that how much it depends on the mood. Yeah. Actually, 100% dependent on the mood. If I know what is the rule that Krishna wants, if I know, and I am sure it is actually a rule, that it is not some superstition. So I know the rule, I am sure it is a rule, and I am capable of following the rule. And following that rule is going to be good in that place. Then I better follow the rule. Unless I'm a self-realized soul, and then I, that's, I'm talking to Krishna directly, that's another thing. But if I'm in an environment where people expect me to follow a rule, I have the ability to follow the rule, I know it's actually a rule, I should follow it. And if I don't follow it, Krishna will not be happy. He will come say, Mata, why are you putting the dishes there? This is my house. Why? What are you doing? But if I, if I don't know what is the rule, if I don't even know, I cannot follow a rule I don't know. 
or if I know it is not actually a rule, if I know it is just somebody's concoction, or I don't have the means to follow the rule. I just, I just don't have it. I, I, I don't have it available to me. Like sometimes you just don't have a flower with a fragrance. It's just not available for any price. Or it's available, but you don't have the money to buy it. You know, you only have three euros, and the flower with the scent is ten euros. So it's not possible. Or you're in an environment where if you follow that rule, people will become very angry. Where you will really upset people, and your preaching will be disturbed. You know, like Prabhupada in deciding when to break fast and what to break fast, he's considering what will be good for the preaching. If we have a big festival for Ramchandra and we don't give anybody any food, this will be very bad for the preaching. So we also have to think what will be good for the preaching and all these things. But if we have a... If this is the right mood and the wrong mood is it's all about the rules. It's all about the rules. No, it's about the rules have the purpose of a relationship. And if we have a mood, it's, oh, it's all about the relationship. <laughs> it's just about love. It's not about the rules. Then we're also making a mistake. If I say to my son, you know, I love you and you love me. What does it matter if I put this measuring cup in your dishwasher? I mean, he actually had another relative like that. He had this relative who would visit, and she would give his children candy while they're sitting on the furniture. Sticky candy. And he would say, we don't give our children this candy at all, and we don't let them eat on the furniture. And this relative would say, oh, I don't visit so often. Let me do with the children what I want to do. I love the children, let me do what I want. So this is also rubbish. <laughs> you know, so these two... Well, we should end now, Prabhu, because that's it that's is... That's the rule that I was going to... 20 after 10. Yeah, there is a rule we have to have breakfast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>